Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. Uh, as you know, it's kind of been a theme this month that I've been reviewing much of my notes from something called a Protective Intelligence Summit that was hosted by a company by the name of Ontic. Uh, but the conversations I've been having are around the ideas that were generated at the stage, as well as in the sub-sessions, as well as in the private conversations we had during those pivotal three days. And I got to meet some new folks I hadn't touched base before. Uh, one of them was Mark Ledlow, who we have on the uh, podcast today. And Mark runs a company called the Ledlow Security Group. We'll get into some of the things he's doing. And also, I'll give you a link so you can go investigate his service offerings. Uh, but I also understood Mark had a podcast as well called The Fearless Mindset. And I've been doing a lot of research around the mindset of, of the warrior. I'm really intrigued by that. And we had a speaker called Jack Carr, who is an ex-Navy SEAL. And, and this idea of fear and how to leverage it and how to prevent it from constraining your awareness. And this goes on in the business world as well as the security world and the armed services world, this idea of fear. What, what is it about fear that can constrain our um, view of, of reality and opportunity and risk. Uh, and so I thought nothing better than uh, to get Mark Ledlow on the line. So we're sitting by my virtual fireplace. We have a little taste of something, something between us, and we're going to have a great conversation, Mark Ledlow. Hey, looking forward to this. I am. You brought back some good memories of the Ontic Summit. I, I really enjoyed that summit. It was like, really opened my eyes, to, my ears to, uh, how the industry is evolving and changing so rapidly. Well, it, it's really interesting, right? We had all these actors, if you will. You come from the EP space, the protective intelligence space. You spent your life uh, in some things you can't even talk about, uh, representing high net worth and or very influential people. Uh, we had uh, also uh, manufacturers there. We also had uh, integrators there. And of course, we had chief security officers coming from a variety of backgrounds. We had chief legal officers there. Uh, so it was really a good composite of the industry. And I think what we all walked away from is we had no, no reason to believe this, but I, don't, I think we thought the future was a lot farther away than we witnessed in those three days. Yeah, that was pretty profound because you hit, like you said, you have all these thought leaders in that room. And if I heard correctly, there's only a certain amount of people that were allowed to come to the summit and you had to be almost vetted. I'm like, holy cow, this is like a big deal. And my experience was almost to that of going to the Ontic summit in uh, DC, uh, with, uh, not the Ontic, OSAC, sorry, OSAC conference with the State Department. It was that high a level of thought leaders that were in that room and just uh, just getting to know, like you said, different chief security officers, different experts in their fields and such a, uh, a vast experience level across the globe. And uh, it was, it just kind of, it kind of blew my mind away. I was like, hmm, what am I gonna get into? And 
Mike Trout, Michael Trout, uh, former CIA, uh, he was in the protective uh, team there for George Tennant. I knew he was going to be there. And of course, Fred Burton did on the podcast with me. Um, it was just, uh, it really opened my mind to how I need to shift my thinking as a warrior. Like you mentioned, the, the fearless mindset and the warrior mindset. Yeah, I've been in the field probably 15 plus years. But what corporations are starting to demand is changing of what the, the way the old guard way of thinking is. And Ontic showed that and showed the reason why. And if you're dealing with the corporation, as you know, Ron, first thing they look at is budget. And if I'm a you know CFO looking at the budget, advising the CEO saying, "Sir, ma'am, I think we'd be wise to spend money on intelligence gathering to to justify if we do need an EP team." So now I see a shift going on there to where just to pay, you got to have justification for your spending. And that, you know, they have, uh, you have to report to shareholders and all that. And uh, I, I, it just blew my mind. It just gave me, it took my mind to a different level and how I look at my own business. So I'm like, whoa, it just, uh, it made me sit back and just process. I'm an analytical kind of guy by nature, by being a protector. I was like, Mark, are you ready for this change? Uh, shoot, I don't think so. <laughs> it's kind of scary when you talk about fear. Being a, a warrior, you're like, okay, I got to change the way I protect people. Well, protective intelligence is a different venue, not just being a bodyguard or EP agent. Um, I know so many guys right now are spending money because they haven't been able to train for two years. So I see all these training schools going out. But like, you know, Michael Trott mentioned before, we need to spend more time, and Fred Burton says it, in protective intelligence. You need to, you know, sharpen your, your knives a little bit and sharpen the way you think a little bit and maybe shift that. Well, let's have some fun. Uh, most people know that I entered uh, the security industry around 9-11, uh, but at the heart of what I am is a business strategist. And just for a second, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to play the role of strategy consultant with you and okay. your, your business and your industry, right? Just for a second. So let's play a what if game. What we saw at the summit, one of the one, I, I'm going to touch on a number of different presentations, what, but what one of them was about was this interconnected highway system that Dwight Eisenhower uh, helped construct as president of the United States in the 50s, right? And how that wasn't seen as needed in 1919. It wasn't even seen as needed in 1955. But but what's interesting is just because it's not seen as needed doesn't mean it doesn't change everything. And usually it, it's toward the advancement of ideas that aren't on the table. And of course, a great example of that is Uber. Taxi, right. taxi consultants didn't see a need to change. Nope. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Right. It came out of nowhere. How about the guy who carried a boombox on his shoulder? until there was an iPhone and an I, right? So, so we are looking at ideas that'll change our industry. And our first trigger reaction, I, I just had someone on the other day in, in a great conversation who comes from your industry. And he goes, actually, it kind of scares me. Doesn't this technology, if it's done right, doesn't that um, quite frankly, destroy my business? And I, I, I realize, and that's why I love having you on the on the line today, because Mark, that's fear. 
Absolutely. Led with fear in this broadcast. That's fear, isn't it? It's something you can't control. And being in a protector in your DNA or a warrior, as you referred, we're naturally going to try to protect what we know to do. Oh, crap. Someone's taking that tool away from me. Now what do I do? I'm out of control. It's a psychological response to stimuli. It really is. It's fascinating, isn't it? So now, now we put it in your category. You, you get that one. You get fear. You can apply the lessons of fear to the initial reaction you have and change because it is going to get, it's going to start accelerating. So now as a business strategist, I ask you this question. Let's just say that interstate intelligent network is in place. It's connecting the pieces of the pie that have stood alone for so many years. In fact, the 9-11 report talked about the danger of those pieces of pie not being interconnected, right? So, so we have the executive team. We have HR, who you deal with a lot in executive protection. You know, we have supply chain. We have legal. We have finance. They all own a piece of the pie. We have ops. We have all own a piece of the pie. They're all navigating risk and opportunity for the CEO, but there's no whole picture. And who are the agents of change in our industry? Where are they going to come from that help them connect the dots and realize it's a uh, an advantage to the business to connect those dots, not just defensively, but offensively as well? That is a great question. I think you're going to have to see... Um the old guard or the new the new generation coming in the industry or currently, I think they're going to have to be educated and trained up in a different way of doing security. I think um, probably have to attend some sort of a, a soft skills training in which when I say soft skills, I'm not talking about customer service. I'm talking about analytics, data mining. I mean, Antic was talking all about, what are they talking about? Numbers, data, and analytics breaking down information by the nanosecond or however they do that. I'm not, I, I sucked in high school in geometry and algebra and all that stuff. So I'll let you guys know that for now disclosure. But what I see is um, I don't see EP what it once was. We have intelligence, artificial intelligence. We have technology and they're spending millions of dollars out there in these corporations to do surveillance cameras. Now they got, I think I saw LA Universal robots running around the mall. And they give alerts. And guess what's going to replace human beings? Robots, artificial intelligence. And if you're not willing to shift to that change, it's going to be too late. Yeah. Yeah. And especially right now, like you said, that the highway is being built right now. And Antic is building that highway currently. And I had a couple of conversations with the, a potential client I am working with in Orange County, California. And he mentioned, yeah, I'm using Antic's technology. They gave me updates on my threads on my phone. Look at it right here. I'm like, really? That's on tech? He goes, yeah. I'm, we, we signed up like six months ago. I'm not going to say the name of the client, their client, that because of NDA stuff. But it's happening, folks. And if you're a bodyguard, you want to be a bodyguard for the rest of your life, you need to shift the way you change because you will get caught in that, that riptide in the ocean. It's going to pull you out. You're not going to have a, anything to grab onto. And you're going to get pulled under the water because you don't have any other skill sets, I think, you know, I think it's imperative for survival in the physical security sense. That's where things are heading. I mean, I think you probably see it too, Ron, where you see many postings right now. I see more postings for intelligence divisions being built by corporations than EP programs. Interesting. 
Interesting. And how, how do those get in your radar, Mark? Probably uh, algorithm feeds on LinkedIn. And then I, I see what Fred's sharing on his thread. And then I see what Mike, Michael Trout's sharing on his thread. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm connected to many, many people like yourself on LinkedIn. And I just see, you know, everybody wants to be a bodyguard. Everybody wants to sit on the state. But right now, let's think about this. We just went through the pandemic. Guess what? 90% of business went away in the last two years. A lot of people had to leave the industry because there's no work. And now protective intelligence starting to ramp up everywhere. And look at the growth Ontic is having under Lucas's leadership. And then, you know, got Chuck Randolph over there now too, helping him, uh, Fred Burton now. And so there is a, definitely a shift in the way we're doing business. And um, I think is I would advise the guys and gals listening to this that are in the executive protection space to start dabbling and checking into how do I be, get into analytics and data mining and protective intelligence. I know uh, Kristen Linnison over there at Crest 24, she, she's into that space. And Fred, I think he mentioned to me that they have a like an academy at Ontic where they can train to go to like a boot camp or something. So I have to uh, check with Fred on that and see if that's still going on. But you got to just learn a new skill. Like you and I had to reinvent ourselves. You got the podcast going. I got my podcast going uh, right in the beginning of this uh, shutdown. I'm like, well, I got to do something. And when the whole world shut down, how do you make your money? How do you get to pay your bills? That's right. So uh, let's just touch on one more thing about this. And then I want to focus on the fearless uh, mindset podcast and how it started. What, what was the idea behind it? But just for a second, let's play out a scenario. I remember years ago uh, talking to a VP of sales um, who was managing by spreadsheet all the prospects in his funnel, right? And this newfangled technology came along called CRM, Salesforce. And, uh, and I'm gonna draw one other analogy and then I'm gonna bring them all together. Uh, and back in the late seventies, there was a new technology presented to the design and manufacturing of products. So, um, if Microsoft was building a keyboard, they'd develop it maybe in foam, and then they had to translate that foam into a design. A design had to be translated into a process manufacturing plan, and then it would be built. Well, two types of people in those both scenarios, a lead sales guy who said, the last thing I wanna do is put my data in a database, then it's no longer my data. Mm -hmm and the chief engineer who said the same thing, right? And then there were a host of people who saw that, no, unlike these people who are trying to hold on to their data and protect their position, they decided to leverage the data to become better at what they did. So the other salespeople decided that this could make me more intelligent and more efficient and they took their skills to a different height. And then the same thing with the engineers. So I think what we're faced with is reimagining the role. The role won't disappear, but you're a human sensor. There's, of course, all these sensors is how Ontic's gonna pick up the data, but you're the human sensor. In fact, the machine has to learn from you first. And I, I think that's the bridge role 
That's the bridge role moving into the next application of what that means for you and your, your industry. What do you think? Yeah, you can never, like you said, Ron, you can never replace the human instinct reaction to stimulus, whether it's fear or threat based or danger based. A robot doesn't have that ability yet to process that. And or uh, you know, you have a domestic and you know, you're at the mall. I'm down here in Orange County, you know, for example, and I'm walking to my car, then I'll also see her here screaming and I you see a couple going at it. Maybe it's a, maybe not a couple, maybe a girl, a lady get in her car. She just went shopping. Here you got this man attacking her. And what's the robot going to do? <laughs> Call 911. Call me. You just start repeating yourself like a parakeet. Call 911. It's like, hey, okay. Send a drone, Mark. You send a drone. Come on. A drone. <laughs> send a drone. Exactly. Sort of drop a web on top of them. <laughs> That's but how, how's the robot going to interfere with that? Or, you know, workplace violence, you know, you're sitting at a corporate office and here comes the guy, you all pissed off. And like I had a situation, I was supporting, uh, it was uh, Robert Dodge's organization back in the day. I won't say their client, but I was uh, doing workplace violence. I was there for three weeks and uh, the person of interest um, was no longer a threat. And then the day he became no longer a threat, uh, the guy, another individual coworker, popped up as a threat, approached the CEO of this organization that during his lunch made a rude comment to him and a kind of verbal threat. And then actually, you know, I'm in the parking lot and uh, there is this incident where there's some uh, heated discussions on the sidewalk in the parking lot. And I go walking down sidewalk as i'm watching all this and i'm like we gotta call the police it's getting heated and i'm like i talked to the hrvp said hey we gotta call the peace she goes no please don't and i'm like what else you hired me to make the decision but a robot would never make that decision it doesn't have the processing ability and so make long story short cops were called and he got the guy had some um, mental health issues and uh he was under duress. I'm not sure of the situation. And the CEO was there. The HR lady was there. And then uh, I was watching HR, you know, hired uh, Robert Dodge's firm for me to oversee the situation. It blew up pretty badly. And the guy uh, was handcuffed by a PD and they actually took him in custody. And uh, it, but all I'm saying with that workplace violence issue is a robot would never have done anything because they're incapable. And they, because you don't have that human interaction. And so that was many, many years ago, I was working in Irvine on a, that project. But uh, yeah, there's so much, only so many things where robot and artificial intelligence can do. Back to your point, yeah, you're going to always need a human element to deter, detect, and offer that deterrence. And especially with people going back to work, everybody's getting back to work. I was just in Vegas for the ICS West Conference for some meetings. That place is packed. There's like, 25, 30,000 people at that conference. It was insane. Well, that whole discussion, that whole story you just told is interesting because the, the, the guy in the gap, you, is trained to keep the whole picture in mind and all the variabilities. And, and yet the untrained, in this case, the HR person, is many cases motivated by fear with a lack, again, like I said at the beginning, a lack of information, 
right? Usually right. information. And, and this gets very important later on, Mark, because if they had more information, that argument may not have occurred with you. But, but back to, this is the segue now. So fear is an interesting thing. Tell me how you came up with one, the title of the Fearless Mindset Podcast. <laughs> and what were you thinking at the time? Tell me about that. Well, when I was trying to figure out what to call this podcast, I, I didn't know what to call it. I was just, you know, I just my dad just passed away with cancer. And it was kind of in memory of him, in honor of him, of this is my new season of my life. Dad's gone now. You know, he lived his life. He passed on. What do I do? What do I do with myself? We got the pandemic. Nothing, nothing going on work-wise, and I actually sat down with, uh, she's like my sister in Orange County, her son-in-law, Chris Decker, and he goes, have you ever done a podcast before? I'm like, what's that? It's two, eight, 18 months ago. I'm like, no, I've never done a podcast. You know who Joe Rogan is? I'm like, yeah. If you listen to him, no. <laughs> I just don't listen to podcasts. And so I'm like, what do I call this? If I'm going to do this, I want to do it big. And so I'm like, well, he told me the idea of, hey, you can become your own, create your own audience through this podcast, but people know who you are. I'm like, well, I don't want people knowing who I am because what I do is secret scroll stuff. Well, we think it's secret scroll stuff. It's really not black ops, secret scroll stuff. It's a private sector. Okay, let's be honest about it. But we do have NDAs and stuff. So I don't want to paint a bigger picture of what it is. But um, so I'm like, fearless mindset. Because I was thinking about conversations with bodyguards. I'm like, well, I don't want to be pigeonholed to one genre. And I don't want to be boxed into I'm a carrot when I can be a carrot, lettuce, and whatever. And so I want to have I want to have many different conversations with many thought leaders, not just in security, because I wanted this show to offer such value to the business owner, to the struggling businesswoman. And what do we always talk about? Fear. Biggest problem we deal with in, in creating something, entrepreneurs, business owners, is fear. The fear of not doing something and the fear of doing something and, and losing it all. And so I'm like, because I was really struggling with the, the fearless. I was struggling with conversation with protectors. And it, it took me probably three months to, to make up my mind. And then I had a good conversation with uh, Ron Owens with Fame Marketing. The guy's a genius when it comes to marketing. He's good friends with Frank Muir. And he connected us. And we started talking. He goes, Mark, you need to trademark that thing because someone's going to try to steal that idea. If you have success, someone's going to try to steal it. I'm like, all right. So I trademarked it. And I think, Ron, what it came down to, I just wanted something in honor of my dad and how he impacted my life. He's a Vietnam veteran. And uh, he also had a business called Quality Hearing Care. He's very good at it. And he liked helping people. And so I think he taught me a lot about how to look at life in a fearless approach. And so I think that's kind of what birthed it. And I'm like, I can have so many conversations. And when I was talking to Ron Owens about it, he goes, well, just think about the conversations you can have beyond just security. Yeah, most of the shows, I'd say 80% people involved in the physical security industry may offer a lot of value. But there's people out there that I haven't even had on yet that have so many amazing stories that can touch a life, that can change a life, that can inspire someone that's listening to the show they can be working, going into their executive team meeting or something at a corporate boardroom about ready to lose their job or something, and they hear a story from somebody on the show and it changes their life. And that, to me, is making an impact. How, how, I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think this necessarily has to focus on the protectors 
or the people in and around the protectors. And it just, it just fired off as a synopsis in my brain here, what you just said. I would love to see one day, yeah, you'll have to navigate this, but I would love to see you start to put some of your former clients on the podcast with you to discuss the term. And now, now I'm going to say fearless, but in a different way. How sure. did Mark Ledlow help you to fear less in your protection so you could focus on fearing less your business decisions and your judgment and so forth? How did you manage that risk and opportunity with Mark Ledlow? I mean, what a great conversation that would be to get in the mind of the client in fearing less. That's a great concept, actually. I never thought about that. Just have some fun. Yeah, just have some fun with it. I had, I mentioned that to a couple of people about having, you know, clients on, well, what about the NDA? And you had someone stealing your client. Like, well, that, I think that's the old school way of thinking. I think it's just people say, well, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm like, well, guess where the decision makers hang out at? Absolutely. YouTube, Absolutely. social media. They don't hang out on, they don't look at, they're not going to look you up at yellow books. It's just people that make decisions now are on the YouTube platforms or listening to podcasts. They're not listening. They're not watching the news. We're not, you're not going to find me on any major news network. You're going to find me on the podcast like Ron here. And so that, that's actually a great idea. I never thought about that, but you just gave me a, a great tool there. Well, again, this has been a great conversation with Mark Ledlow because we've not only touched upon fear, we've also touched upon this concept of the scarcity principle, which can constrain our actions and, and blind us to the opportunities in front of us. When we believe in scarcity as a truth, instead of abundance, we start holding on to things that we shouldn't be holding on to, and we hold on to them too long. Would you agree? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Rob, because before I started my podcast, I think I had 2,000 followers on LinkedIn. Within 18 months, we're at almost 5,011. And that just, you know, putting content out there, I had to hire a social media girl to do marketing for me because I don't have the time to do it. And I think for me, it's learning to be a business leader to hire a director of operations, hire a girl that knows marketing, knows the algorithms, has software, and she can put stuff out there and just offering value content to in anybody in the business world, not just the protectors, but any, any business segment out there that's looking for information to make themselves better in whatever world they're in. Great leaders turn into wise leaders by knowing what they don't know and hiring people around them and empowering them. Uh, so fantastic. This has been a great conversation. Mark Ledlow, can't, can't wait to see you again. Thanks for having me on.